Hello, hello, hello. My name is Blessing. I am a child of God, a woman's equality evangelist, a style enthusiast, and a pop culture junkie. Welcome to Our Bibles Ourselves, a podcast where we deconstruct and reclaim what the Bible says, especially about women towards liberation. In today's episode, I'll tell you a bit about who I am and why I'm doing this podcast. So I was thinking about how to introduce myself and introduce this podcast. Full disclosure, I recorded an entirely different podcast, but I was having a conversation with my friend Adele. Adele is one of the foremost podcasters, I would say, in the world. She has a podcast called Legally Clueless. And I was just getting her advice. And as we were having that conversation, I realized, oh, well, maybe we should just have this conversation because it's helping me say all the things that I want to say about why I'm doing this podcast and who I am. So on today's episode, it'll be a crossover podcast episode between Adele and I, and she will interview me and hopefully will give you a chance to get to know more about me and why I'm doing this podcast. So this is kind of like a hijack stroke crossover. I'm hijacking your podcast and you're hijacking mine. Yes, and I love it. for, And it's so last minute too. Exactly. It wasn't planned. We were having a conversation. And then we decided, yes, did this make sense? So just in case um, to the people on your side, my name yeah. is Adela Nyango. And I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. And the first time I met Blessing was right here in New York <laughs> in 2018. And we were at the same conference. It was Goalkeepers. And we did the thing of like arriving on time. And you just have to go and check if like, for me, my if my wig was still... <laughs> and it was raining that day too. Exactly. Because it was a fall day in September. So it's almost exactly full, full Exactly. Yeah. So going to the bathroom to make sure my hair is still right. And, <laughs> and who do I bump into? Blessing. And the friendship began then. So I'm so proud of everything you've achieved so far. And we're going to get into a bit of that and more. Thank you. And for the folks on your side, my name is Blessing. I'm Nigerian-American. I live in Brooklyn, New York, but Abuja, Nigeria is also home. Mm -hmm. And like Adele mentioned, we met at a conference three years ago now. 2018 is not three years. Three, four. Wait, 2018. 20, I can do my math now. <laughs> Hold on. You know how the, how you do like the math and, and you do the carryover? Yeah. <laughs> Mine a long time ago. A long time ago. And it was like, like in a circuit. No? Has it been? Oh my gosh. But like within a minute, I was like, this is my person. Yeah. Like you became my friend for the conference and you've become the type of person that I can call. I've called you at 2 a.m. Because mm-hmm, <laughs> we've gone through very similar things. Like, yes. <laughs> I called you in Vancouver. I was like, it's 10 o'clock where I am. I don't even know what time it is in Kenya, but I need to talk to you right now. Yeah. And I appreciate that. We don't talk every single week, but whenever we talk, it's always a really meaningful conversation. I feel that. I feel yeah. that as well. And that's what we're going to get into. Um, first and foremost, I'm so excited that you're getting into the podcasting space. We need more African creators here. And so like, welcome, welcome. Thank Let's you. do this. When did you decide that you wanted to get into podcasting? Let's start there. It was about two, three months ago. So I've been working on a book for a while. It's called Our Bibles Ourselves. 
And it's the exact same theme of what this podcast is, thinking about my experience as a Christian woman and really wanting to explore what the Bible says about women. And so I did a residency last year at the Rockefeller Foundation and began the book. And I've been talking to an agent and we've been going through the book proposal process. And the more we've gone through the book proposal process, I was like, okay, this book thing is going to take longer than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. And there are things that I actually just want to say right now and conversations that I want to have now. And I want to engage with people on these ideas. And so I said, yes, I'll keep doing the book. But in the meantime, let me start doing this now. And I mentioned to you when we were having the conversation that a lot of my jobs, so I work in comms um, for a foundation. And a lot of my job is about everything being so polished exactly. and perfect. And we analyze every single piece of content down to the second. And the space to just do something messy and without, we didn't talk about what we we're going to talk about today just to do that feels very liberating. So it was about two months ago, I said, you know what? I'm just going to do this. I'm not even going to overthink it. Just do it and see what happens. And I'm so happy because um, that's the best way to start. When I think about like my own beginning, Episode one, which is one of the most listened to irrationally, because when people really? discover the podcast, I'm always like, I wish I could delete it <laughs> and tell people just like check in from episode 10. Because <laughs> episode one was like eight minutes long. Really? And I thought that was so long coming from radio. Right. I was crying. I, my voice was shaking. I had like zero structure. No, don't tell me. <laughs> now that you say it, I remember it. And I thought it was so beautiful because it was so vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah. And so many people are just like, no, we love and we love hearing it and like growing with you. So it's good to just come in. There's no perfection. You know what I mean? Just being yeah. you is enough. And that's what people will connect with. But I'm very interested yes. in the topic that your podcast is going to be weaving through. Yes. Because when we talk about like religion and Christianity, especially now... Um, on the continent, there's a lot of conversations around, is it being used as a tool for manipulation? Mm -hmm. Is there oppression? Um, I'm very Pan-African. And so I'm always like, this thing arrived with like such violence. <laughs> and and then I, I wonder where it sits. You know what I mean? In right. like modern African, modern day African woman. Right. Um, so... Let's begin with you and the church. Where yeah. did that relationship kick off? Yeah. So I was born into the church, literally. <laughs> <laughs> my parents came to America. They went to Oklahoma to go to divinity school. So my oh, parents wow. had careers in Nigeria before. Mm -hmm. My dad was a microbiologist. My mom had just finished a sociology degree and they had met in church, of course. And he went to a Christian school in Oklahoma to get a master's in divinity. And so they got married on the campus of that school. It's called Oral Roberts University. I, I was born in a Christian hospital. <laughs> oh my goodness. So like in the church. In the church. I was born in a Christian hospital. It's called City of Faith. And my whole life has been the church. It was while we were in America, my parents were planning to move back to Nigeria to start a church. So our apartments were always filled with boxes of things like hymn books and instruments. And like the entire plan as a kid is we're going back to Nigeria to begin this church. Mm. And so once they finished their degrees, they got a variety of degrees at uh, Christian universities. We moved to Abuja where they began a church. And my whole life growing up was school, church, home, school, church. So Monday, you have family devotions. 
Tuesday, my parents had leadership meeting. I'd go sit with them in the back of church. Thursday, we had home cell groups. So you go to different homes for church. Friday, there's prayer meeting. Saturday, you're probably in the choir. <laughs> Sunday, we're in church from morning till evening. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so the church is in my whole life and we can get into it in a bit, but I've had an evolution of my experience because to your point, as you become more aware, for me, aware of, the history of Christianity with colonialism, with mm -hmm. slavery, but specifically for me with women, mm -hmm. that's when that relationship began to evolve. And I had to go through a phase of shifting from the, the religion that I inherited to the religion that became my own. Okay, so like where does it meet you as an individual? Yeah. And you kind of like craft a space in it for yourself. Before I used to be very rough. <laughs> Wait, define rough. Rough with, with Christianity, mm. you know. I'd watch the news, especially in Kenya, and see all of these, like, churches that had conmen and had taken money, especially from, like, the elderly people. Or if we talk about issues around sexual violence and, like, oh, there's this pastor from this church and he's done this to women, etc. And so rough is, like, get this thing out of here. Right. Before the colonialists arrived, we had something going. Let's just like go back to that, guys, you know? And I was very like, oh, about it. But I think with time, I've began to appreciate that there can be a peace that an individual can find in this church and in this space. And I'm going through that process. So I'm not converting anyone anymore. Before, <laughs> if I just see you, I'm just like, hey, Abandon did you know? Thing. Yeah. <laughs> but now I can, I can be like, that's great for you. Like you found peace. That's, mm. that's fantastic. And so I wonder, how do you harmonize the peace that you've found in curving out your own individual space um, with the bits where that don't align with the greater picture of the church. How do you harmonize that? Because it's kind of like cognitive dissonance, right? Because right. you're within it. And maybe there's some things you're like, this is this doesn't make sense, you know? How do you harmonize that? That experience you've mentioned of cognitive dissonance is what my entire life has been. And it's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast, because I think that there's so many people across race lines, across geography, we're beginning mm -hmm. to ask questions that the church isn't often willing for us to ask. It's, this is what the Bible says, and therefore, boom, do it. What for me has been the evolution is actually getting to know God for myself and getting to understand theology. Mm. So I'm understanding both the text and the context of the text. And mm -hmm. I think many times, not just in Africa, we see it pervasive in Africa, but across the world in America, you see it as well. The Bible is misused, mm. religion is misused, and many people don't challenge it because they don't know how to. Mm. And that's what I want to do is to provide more information, more tools. For me, I began to question the Bible when my father died. So again, grew up in the church, father, super religious, and my father was the most God-fearing, that's mm. the word we use, the most God-fearing man I ever, know, I ever knew. Um, served God with his whole life, with his whole life. In fact, because he knew the phenomenon we talked about, about 
pastors often taking offering decided that he would not take offering from the church. So we, we lived very modest, which I used to be so ashamed about because I went, they put me in a really good school in Nigeria and my peers are all, you know, children of senators and da, da, da. And we live in this small bungalow and it used to make me so angry of my parents are investing everything they have in this church. And it was a, a big building that they eventually built. So I saw him do that, invest his whole life, invest everything. And the Bible says, if a person has faith, you know, he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be gone into the sea. We, we, I knew all the scriptures about faith, about healing. With long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. I mean, we learned every single scripture. My father was diagnosed with cancer when I was 13. Mm -hmm. And in the two years between his diagnosis and when he died, the entire church, my family, all of us, we prayed, mm -hmm. we fasted, we learned Every single scripture in the Bible that could even just tangentially be related to healing. Yeah. We wrote them in notebooks. We mm -hmm. meditated. Um, my mother moved her things to church for some time and she would just come home to have a shower, go back to church and she's praying. Mm -hmm. And my father died. The first thing I did when my father died was I went to my room and I took my Bible and I began to rip it to shreds. Mm -hmm. Because I said, if my father can die, this book has to be a lie. And that moment was the beginning of me beginning to explore biblical literalism. And biblical literalism is when people read the Bible literally. Mm. A plus A equals C, one plus one equals two. And you take scriptures and you try to apply them. Scriptures that were written in a very specific place mm. and time often for different people. The Bible is a collection of many different things. The Bible has poetry, it has history, it mm. has laws, it has stories. Like there's so many different pieces of the Bible and not understanding that we take it and we try to apply it literally to human lives. And that was when I began to see the downside of that. And I didn't have the language. I mean, I was 13, 14, 15 when my dad died. I didn't have the language. I began to ask questions. Now, when my father died, they had built this church together, my mom and my dad, and I had seen them build it together. And there were suddenly all these questions about, well, who will take over the church? Mm. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, they built this together. Why is this question even present. Mm -hmm. And there was a board that was deliberating over this question for, for weeks, if not months. My memory is foggy, but for a while. And it made me very angry. Mm -hmm. And people said, but the Bible says, there's a, there's a scripture in the Bible where Paul says women should not speak in church. And we'll de deconstruct that in a different episode of this podcast. But people would use scriptures like that to say it would be heresy for a woman. In fact, I remember someone DM'd my sister or I think it was Facebook we had at the time. We didn't have Twitter then. <laughs> or some, I don't know, maybe a WhatsApp text, whatever, of your mother is going to go to hell and you better ask her to repent because oh a woman goodness. cannot be a pastor. And when she was eventually ordained, half the church left. I will say some people left because they were just really disillusioned and hurt after mm -hmm. my father died and couldn't reconcile it. But a lot of them left because they couldn't, send the idea of a woman being a pastor. Mm. So I then had to begin to now deconstruct, well, what does the Bible say about women? And I began to research and to ask questions. I went to the same Christian university that my parents went to, but a different reckoning happened when I got engaged, mm. when I really began to explore. And we can get to that in a minute, but for me, it's been a journey of understanding the history of the Bible, understanding the theology. The Bible was translated. So there's even a violence in translation. In tra there's yeah. a violence in translation. Like when you begin to study like translations, like for example, one of the things I'll talk about is we talk about the man is the head of a home because the Bible says um, the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And I'm messing up the, the direct scripture. 
But when you go and see what that scripture is actually talking about from the Greek translation, mm. it's talking about source. Mm. So it's talking about, if you go to the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve, um, the source we know in the scriptural interpretation of creation, mm. the source was Adam for a woman. And he's using that to make a point of we are all united. We all come from each other. There is a source. So not in terms of like... Of hierarchy. Yeah. It's not about hierarchy, but we use it for hierarchy. And to your point that you made earlier, if you think about Christianity and slavery, people use scriptures to promote slavery. Exactly. People use scriptures to promote colonialism. And at the same time, scripture was a very big part of dismantling that. Mm. So if you think about the civil rights movement, a lot of it was built on theology of going back to scriptures about liberation. There's a whole school of thought called liberation theology. And many, in fact, Martin Luther King, many of the big advocates for civil rights, they premised their work on the Bible, mm -hmm. on theology. Think about Africa, think about the apartheid movement, Desmond Tutu. Mm -hmm. Many of these religious leaders, their work was premised on the Bible and liberation. So it's it's really a tool, like you mentioned, that can be used in different Either ways. Way. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up because I remember even just like reading up on like Martin Luther King and just getting a bit disillusioned about, okay, theology. Because <laughs> I'm like, bro, we were going this way. Right? <laughs> Not with <the> offside. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are you yeah. on about? Um, uh, before we move on to like the engagement point, I do want to know, who were you asking these questions yeah. to? Because I grew up in a Catholic family and I've always been like, questioning a lot and if I see things in the church so like our church service honestly can be very scary for somebody new what denomination so Catholic okay so there's a lot of like at a point in the year the chalice can't be held with just bare hands <laughs> and the priest is holding it with cloth and I'm like picking up these things and I'm just like wait why is he doing that why is mm -hmm. he or like the body of Christ and his blood and you're like drinking this wine and stuff and then you're just like uh, guys, <laughs> when you think about it, we often talk about Africa having so much juju. Yes. <laughs> but when you think about the idea that you're drinking blood and eating yes. a body. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I remember trying to question and it was not allowed. And for me, that was my first red flag because I was like, if you want me to learn, questioning is where that begins. But if you're not allowing me to question, then there's something sinister. So who are you asking the questions to? And what were like the answers? So I'm the rebel in my family and I always am the rebel. Early in my life, I was asked my father these questions. And I remember going to him and saying, I was reading in the Bible, you have these sections of genealogy where it says this person begat this person begat this mm -hmm. person. And I was very annoyed because women were often not included in these genealogies and histories. And I went to him and I said, why aren't women counted? Mm -hmm. And he said, it's about the culture. And he would teach me how to study. So he, he had this Matthew Henry's commentary. And he was really good. I think he was different from the typical African father, I will say. He was really good about helping me learn how to research. So I began to learn how to research really early as a child. I remember asking God in my Bible. I was reading a, a section of the Bible and I remember writing in the Bible, God, why do you hate women? So sometimes the questions were to God directly. I was seven, eight. I think I was reading some of the Mosaic laws in the Bible, Old Testament laws that just seemed, they are actually very sexist. And I remember saying, God, why do you hate women? As I've grown older, they've been questions that I continue to ask God where I'll say, God, 
show me the answer to this thing. Give me revelation. And many times I'll come across information somewhere. I have spent a lot of my time studying theologians on my own. That's where a lot of my answers come from. Because to your point, I think our religious structures as they exist, the church, which is both a source of joy, but can also be harmful. We're scared of questions. Yeah, We're scared of the questions. And so there isn't often space to ask those questions in the church. And so I've learned a lot from theologians, some of who will be on this podcast, academics, books, Mm. but it's been a personal journey for the most part. This is so interesting because I'm learning as well. I always say like, my Bible from class five primary school is like in mint condition. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have the underlines and the, no. my Bible from childhood, you see the, the, the writing, the underline, the tabs, and they should judge you in church by how new your Bible is. So if you Mine go to- like, <laughs> In church, they'll be looking at you like, huh, this one doesn't really read her. Like, if your Bible looked that clean when I was growing up, it was like a thing. And I think I have to really commend your dad because it was a very human um, approach to to religion. Mine was like a Catholic primary school. And we used to be told, Thursdays, we're going for confession. And I remember my friends and I walking to the chapel and we couldn't remember what the confession prayer was. And we were kind of like, Dividing sins mm. amongst us because you have to Not tell the distributing pri- <laughs> the sins. <laughs> you you have to tell the priest the sins you've done <laughs> since so, the last time you came. So all of you are distributing. So, but you don't want him also to hear the same sin over and over because he'll catch on and say like, "Okay, you your homework. You did me. I lied. You like <laughs> like okay. Everybody said great. <laughs> you all rehearsed your <laughs> sins. Yeah, so sins. But what I hated about that is that then we weren't learning anything. Right. We were just participating in something because there was like a threat of like, you have to do this. And so I really commend your dad for that. So when we get to um, you getting engaged, where are you at at that point in terms of like your relationship with religion? So at that point, I was still super in the faith. um, And... I didn't consider myself a feminist at that point Mm -hmm. because the word feminist felt so heavy. It felt like, oh, those people who are so crazy and liberal and out there and bitter. Um, But I had began to study women's rights. I had gone to law school when I got engaged. Uh, I had just finished law school when I got engaged. And I I focused most of my law school research on women's rights. Undergrad was very focused on women's rights as well. So it had become a passion The process of getting engaged is what disrupted my views on women, not the Bible, interesting. So that's when I became a feminist because you have all the premarital counseling and I was being taught all these things that did not make sense. Mm -hmm. Like the man is the head of the home, therefore he is the final decision maker on everything. And in my head, I'm thinking, and I would ask like in these premarital counseling classes, okay, so say a man marries a woman who is an investment banker or an accountant and they're disagreeing about money or how to invest. He's the final decision maker because why? Because he has a penis. Like, mm. And if genitalia and biology is what makes people the head and the leader, then why did God give women brains? Like it just mm. didn't make sense to me. And so that's when I began to study feminism. Ooh. That's when I began to study feminism. That's when I began to have this tug of war with my mom, who I'll say is another person who 
I appreciate because we have very different views, mm. but she also always welcomes the argument and the debate. So mm. we began to tussle. And that was the period when I said, nah, I need to understand what the Bible really says about women. And I became exposed to feminist theology, which mm. is a whole branch of theology that looks at the Bible from a lens of liberation for women. Womanist theology, which is Black women who have began to explore what does the Bible mean for Black women. Studying feminist theology, womanist theology, it made me begin to see God in a whole different way. It made me begin to be able to reconcile all these clashing ideas, the cognitive dissonance of, okay, you're not crazy. Mm -hmm. There are other people out there who have had the same questions that you had. And there's never a point at which you have all the answers. Religion is so complex. Mm -hmm. God is so big and so vast and so nuanced. But what I found in my journey is God is big enough for our questions. Mm -hmm. God is not scared of our questions. God welcomes our questions. At each point when I've said, God, I can read in your scripture and I say, God, I do not understand this. Show me revelation. Mm -hmm. The answer comes. And seeing a God that loves his daughters and desires liberation for his daughters has led me into a new dimension of my faith. And so people say, how can you be feminist and how can you be Christian? Because these two things just seem very at odds. But for me, they're the things that fuel each other. My being Christian and my belief in God is what fuels my belief in feminism and seeing what God desires for his daughters and his children. And my being feminist is what makes me engage with the Bible in a critical way. And that engagement in a critical way comes from a place of love. I ask questions and I challenge, not because I dismiss the Bible, not because I look down at the Bible, but because actually I have a great respect. Mm -hmm. And then also God is bigger than the Bible. That might scare people. Mm -hmm. The Bible is one source of truth. And we'll get into this actually in the next episode. But God speaks to us daily mm -hmm. and getting to learn God and hear God speak to me directly that deepens my relationship with God too. And that's so beautiful to listen to um, because I think most of the times we approach life as extremes. Yeah. So even with people, you're either good or bad, <laughs> you know, um, when it could be a good person who's made a mistake or you're just like sliding across the spectrum. So even with like feminism and religion, it's like, you're either this side or you're the thicker side. You know what I mean? And so do you ever find um, that you have to defend one or the other in different spaces? And what spaces are those that demand this from you? It's a great question. I have felt very isolated in this journey of becoming a person who is feminist and Christian. Because when I enter feminist spaces sometimes, I see that Religion is treated as this thing that is a detractor, mm -hmm. this thing that is just completely harmful. And people say, how can you be progressive and at the same time regressive? Mm -hmm. So in the feminist spaces, I find myself being isolated. And then in the Christian spaces, sometimes I'm treated like the black sheep and the person who is heretical and the person who has lost the way. And um, it's a different kind of rejection. But you know what I've found over the last few years is a community of women and people who are asking questions, mm. who are in this space too. And there are people who are doing brilliant work across religions, across different religions, across different denominations, who are using religion actually to advance mm. women's issues. And so 
I think you said at the very beginning of this podcast, religion is a tool. Mm-hmm. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is a tool as well. It can be used to heal and it can be used to harm. Mm-hmm. And it really comes down to who is using it, who is using this tool. Yeah, I think that's so, it really just goes back to, um, yes, using it, using it for good, but also I liken it to when you're fighting for certain rights in my space. Sometimes I used to feel like, for example, the government, like I can never be seen talking to them. They're evil and like stay on one side. But I realized you wouldn't progress if you don't engage, right? Because they do have certain influence and they do matter in certain issues. And so it's kind of like the same thing you're saying when we're talking about feminist issues. You have to engage with the church and the church leaders. You have to. Faith leaders are some of the most trusted people in the world. And as someone who has her own faith leaders and goes to the church, I know why. It's because when you're sick, it's the church that is there many times. Um, I spoke about being born in America and my parents, they were very poor. They were immigrants in the U.S. It was the church who brought clothes and it was the church who many times helped them pay their bills. Like the church is a source of nourishment for so many of us. When I first moved to New York and I was job searching and I was so alone in this city, going to church every Sunday was my therapy. And that mm-hmm. pastor who has since been canceled, so I will not say <laughs> his name. There's a whole documentary, so hint, hint. But... Um, he really spoke to me at a time when I needed it most. I couldn't afford therapy um, at the time. So the church is a very powerful place. And like any leader that you find in any space, government, teacher, politician, whatever the case may be, people can use their power for good or for evil. But the church has been a source of support and health and nourishment. In Africa, we see that where the government fails, the church often steps in and creates the schools and provides the health care. So it's that it's that constant toggle of, to your point, not going to extremes and seeing the good that exists in a space, but also being willing to challenge. Mm, and yeah. question. And question. So if we bring it back as we like kind of like come back down to a close, yeah. what does religion and your faith look like for you on an individual level, on a day-to-day? I love that question, and I have one, one for you after that. So there are two things. There's religion and there's faith. Mm. Religion is the structure and it's the institution. And in my personal life, religion looks like going to church on Sundays. I prioritize that. Mm. It's my sense of calm, and I go to two churches, actually. (laughs) I go to an Episcopalian church, and I go to a Pentecostal church, because sometimes I need the the calm rhythm of the Episcopalian church, and then sometimes I need the fire (laughs) of the Pentecostal church. So sometimes I'm in Manhattan, sometimes I'm in Harlem. Faith, on the other hand, is the relationship. Mm. And for me, that looks like I'm in a constant conversation with God. My entire life is a conversation with God. Come right now to record this with you. I was like, God, I'm in a bad headspace because my Uber has canceled. Mm-hmm. Please shift me. Mm-hmm. I don't want that energy. And I talk to God about everything, about what outfit to wear, about who to speak to, mm-hmm. about what to do, big life decisions. It's a constant conversation. 
My prayer sometimes is verbal. Sometimes it's written on my phone. Sometimes it's in the shower. But that's what faith means to me on a personal level. Faith is my salvation. I shared with you when we were having our conversation, I've had a very hard year. Mm. And sometimes that looks like just gospel music. Mm. And God meets me through music. Sometimes it looks like writers who, who write about faith and poets. God meets me in different ways. So I have a question for you, actually, which is, mm. I know that you're not religious, but when do you feel God the most? Oh, my goodness. Um, and I, I love this question as well, because I found that a lot of practices, even within the church, are actually rooted in mindfulness and calming your mind and like it's almost there's a science behind it you know and so I find myself most closest and, and calm when I'm talking to my ancestors because that's where I go for answers and that's where I put my questions um that's where I think about the person I want to be and think about the people who I love and, and what I want for them and, and how I want to kind of like that type of good energy and courage and drive to, to find them. So it's, it's prayer, mm. you know. I feel the most calm in that moment and sometimes it's, with spirituality and specifically when we're talking about it in an African context. And for me, when it comes up with like different pictures of, of, of my lineage and people from my lineage and um, incense and candles and water. The Christians who are listening to me right now are like putting the blood yes! of Jesus. <laughs> and the reason I say it is because one of my listeners said, oh, I... She listens with her husband and she's very Christian. And she says, when you talk about your ancestral <laughs> altar. But people are like, okay, we pass on it in the <laughs> name of like, Jesus. She was like, I was just like, oh, I love you, but what the hell? <laughs> and then her husband was like, oh, I understand it. And she was just like, hey, in our house, we are Christians, you know. And I told her, well, you know what? That's fine because it really works for me. It's so individual. I can't explain it to you even if I wanted to. It's just where I find peace and it's where I go and deposit my questions and like ask for guidance. And in that moment, I feel so calm, blessing, so calm. And I told my best friend, this is what I had hoped to find in church. Wow. And I've found it here. So finding that peace is what's made me softer hmm. with people who go to church hmm or who are part of different denominations, because I'm like, oh, maybe you find that piece there. I just didn't find it there. You know what I mean? Um, and so I found that God, God is very different to me. God is, God is life and the evidence of life. God is my responsibility to take care of everything that's alive. I see the entire world as mine. And this mm. gift and this responsibility, including every person who's living and breathing. So I go in kind of like, are you okay? This is great. You know what I mean? Um, and for me, it's more 
feeling and practice and, and, and actions. But it's so peaceful. It's so peaceful. And um, I don't know. I don't know how. And I stumbled my way into it. And I think that's what makes it so real. It's a and personal so journey. Personal. It's yeah. a personal journey. And, you know, even as you talk about ancestors and the Bible ancestry is important. Mm. So you often see Bible scriptures that will say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm. People thought about God through their lineage. Mm. And even in today's where we think about the God who did X, Y, Z for this person mm. is my God. There are many African songs that mm. say the God that this for the God who answereth by fire, he will be my God. Mm. We think about that lineage. Now I think where there's a disconnect is so much of the Bible, of course, is around the story of Israel. Mm. And what I, as a Black woman, as an African woman, have spent the last few years thinking about is, what does it mean to know God within the context of my Blackness as well? Yeah. Because the Bible doesn't often go there. And there are people that I'm going to talk to about that, of how do you reconcile? Because to your point, there were practices in Africa before mm. religion came. And there's a lot of culture that has been made religion. So we often call culture religion. Mm. And for us as as Africans and as Black people, many times our culture was eroded. And so there's a lot of culture that we call Christianity and Mm. a lot of Christianity that we call culture. And that's part of what I want to deconstruct is Mm. what part of this is culture. When I was getting married, you have to change your name to so-and-so's name. It's not even in the Bible, last name. So... That's the journey, and I don't have all the answers. I, right now, I'm grappling with, okay, how how do you reconcile some of these things? And that's what I want to do in conversation with people on this con- on this podcast is let's have the conversation together. So what do you want um, anybody who listens to any of your podcast episodes to leave feeling or having gained? I want exactly what we talked about earlier, having a safe space to ask questions. Mm -hmm. So this isn't a podcast to convert anyone either ways. I welcome anyone who has questions about God and Christianity specifically. This is a place where we get to ask questions, where we get to hear from people who know some of the answers, where we get to wrestle. I want this to just be a safe space to ask those questions that we don't get to ask. So many people are leaving the church today because there isn't a space to ask questions. And they're leaving. They're not leaving God. They're just Mm. leaving the church. And many people miss the church. Mm. The church is, again, a source of community and joy. And so I hope that in some ways this can be a community where we could ask those questions together and also ask those questions from a place of joy. Mm. So a lot of my journey has been about anger, but it's also now about joy and getting to know and discover God from places of joy and anger to God welcomes anger. I feel like I'm good. I think I'm good too. <laughs> awesome. You did amazing. So that's it. That is a bit about me and what this podcast is about. I'm so excited to test out this platform and to take this journey with you. Before we close out, I'm going to do a benediction. If you have been to church or are familiar with church culture, you know that at the end of any service, there is a benediction, a short invocation for help, divine help, blessings, and guidance. And I'll share one at the end of each episode of this podcast. 
I'll share benedictions and prayers that have inspired me by writers that I admire. But I'll start with one of my own. I shared this prayer on Instagram about a year ago and it resonated with a few people. And so sharing it here again today. Dear God, I am grappling with the tensions of the dualities of this life you've given me. I want the ease of a soft life and I want the character that comes from a substantive life. I want the tenacity and steadfastness of my mother's generation, but I want the mental health and self-care of my peers too. I want luxury and I want a life unattached to things. I want to enforce boundaries and protect my peace, but I also want to love people the way you love me, with grace, with mercy, and with faithfulness. I want to be rooted in place, and I want to be moved by intuition. Abba Father, I want to wear skirts with high slits because fashion, but I also want to cover my thighs with pantyhose because decorum. Elohim, I want to learn how to twerk better, but I also need to learn how to pray better. Yahweh, I feel a deep desire to curse a few people out expeditiously, but I also want to preserve the anointing covering my life gracefully. I want to live a life unencumbered by the opinions of others. And I also want to live a life anchored in the wisdom of elders and community. I want joy and enjoyment in every single day. And I want the muscle of delayed gratification. And like a TikTok philosopher so aptly put it, I want to be meek like Jesus and I want to be meek like Meek Mill. So Holy Spirit, I guess what I'm asking for is balance. For a zero or 100 type woman like me, balance doesn't come naturally. I'm asking for clarity too. At each intersection, please give me the discernment to know the difference between discomfort and dysfunction. Please show me when I need to develop the endurance that creates strength of character and leads to the hope of salvation. And please show me when you have placed a restlessness in my spirit to break yokes. My desire is to be submitted to your will and liberated by your love. Please give me strength for the crosses I must carry. And please lead me to the rest you have provided in the finished work of the cross. Let it be, and so it is. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining me on this first episode of the podcast. I'll speak to you on episode two. In the meantime, you can find me on all social platforms on at Blessing Omaku. Bye.